friends, welcome to episode 74 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm Doris Swift, and I am so thankful that you are listening in today. And I have an important question for you. Have you ever felt like an imposter, worried that people would find out who you really were and how you don't actually have what it takes to do what you're probably already actually doing? Well, imposter syndrome is a thing. It's a debilitating, exaggerated sense of doubt that can keep us from walking with joy in the plans that God has for us. My guest today is author, speaker, and Bible teacher, Erica Wiggenhorn. We're talking about this and more, and stay tuned at the end of the show to learn how you can grab a free copy of Erica's new book, Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. It was just released by Moody Publishers. But before we talk about that, I have an announcement. Operation Christmas Child has been reaching millions of children each year with the good news of Jesus Christ through shoebox gifts. And you can pack a shoebox this year and reach a child with the good news of Jesus. National Collection Week is November 15th. And to learn more about that, you can visit SamaritansFirst.org OCC. So back to that imposter syndrome thing. Erica shares how she experienced this before she even knew what it was. And if she did, she figured other women did too. And I know what she has to share is going to encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Erica Wiggenhorn. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm excited about this episode today. I have Erica Wiggenhorn with me, and we are going to talk some really serious Bible stuff and truth of God's Word, because how many out there have ever felt insecure? Hmm, raise your hand. I see there's lots of hands out there being raised, mine included. And what about imposter syndrome and what that is? We're going to talk about that, too. Erica is an award-winning author and the founder of Every Life Ministries, bringing you the truths of scripture to transform your life. Erica is the author of three Bible studies released by Moody Publishers, An Unexplainable Life, The Unexplainable Church, and Unexplainable Jesus, Rediscovering the God You Thought You Knew. And we're going to be talking about her new book that is releasing, and actually it will be already released when you're listening to this. It's called Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck, and How Surrender Sets You Free. Welcome to the show, Erica. It's so great to have you today. Thank you, Doris. I'm elated to be here. Awesome. Well, I love what your message is, and I know that so many women out there who are listening, and men too, if any men are listening, can relate to your message that God has given you to share. I know I kind of read your bio, but I would love if you would share a little bit about your story and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Yes. So this this latest book is really a product of those three things coming to a head. Uh, I have been a student of the Bible for probably the past goodness, 15 years of my life. Uh, For the first 20 years, honestly, as a Christian, I really struggled to read my Bible. I did not grow up in the church. I became a Christian as a teenager. And my youth pastor who led me to Jesus said, Erica, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to have a quiet time. 
And I was like, well, what in the world is a quiet time? Because I don't really like <laughs> to be quiet. And he's like, well, you're going to have to, you know, sit down. You're going to have to read your Bible every day. And you're going to have to pray. And you're going to have to let the Lord speak to you. If you want to write some things down in a journal, you can do that. But you need to connect with God every day by getting quiet and getting in your Bible. And I was like, okay. You know, I I had always liked to read. So I thought, well, this this will be fine. So I began trying to read my Bible as a teenager living in Southern California. And uh, I opened up my Bible with all the nice little red letters of Jesus talking to me in it. And I was like, I do not know what a millstone is, a plowshare, a wheat tear, a mustard seed. I've never seen an oxen. <laughs> and I remember sitting there on my bed and saying, Jesus, how am I supposed to follow you when I can't even understand you? I don't have any idea what any of this means. This is super confusing to me. And I didn't like reading my Bible because I felt like it was boring and I didn't know how to connect it to my life. And so I wouldn't really read my Bible unless I felt guilty. And then I would get it off my nightstand and I would try to read it again but then when I would read it, I would feel ashamed because I didn't have this great spiritual experience when I opened my Bible and I would hear other people talking about, you know, how God was speaking that to them through his word. And, you know, he was answering prayers through what they were reading in their Bible. And that was never my experience. And so I, I felt ashamed, like that maybe there was something wrong with me. And that was pretty much my Bible reading experience for almost 20 years, either guilty because I wasn't reading it and then ashamed that I wasn't having this wonderful experience when I did. And nobody wants to admit that as a Christian, mm -hmm. right? Nobody wants to say, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't like reading the Bible. Like we, mm -hmm. Even though a lot of us, that's really how we feel, but we don't want to say that out loud. And my passion really became, what if I could create a tool that people could use that they could open up that would help them understand the Bible and give them confidence to be able to read it on their own and feel like they understand it and they can apply it to their life. And that is really the impetus behind everything that I write. And you know, the biggest joy of my life, Doris, is when I get an email from somebody and they say, I finally, for the first time, feel like I understand the Bible, or I feel like for the first time I found Jesus on the pages of scripture. When I get an email like that, I just want to jump out of my skin because that I get that feeling of the first time when it was like the light bulb went on scripture came alive to me and how it just became a game changer in my life. But with this latest project, letting God be enough, it was kind of the next step in my journey, if you will. So I, you know, the Bible became unlocked to me. Uh, I finally found the secret decoder ring to understand the Bible and enjoy reading it. But I lived in this place of fear, a fear of inadequacy, a fear of not being enough, a fear of failing, a fear of uh, what other people thought of me, 
what people would think of me if I said no to something they wanted me to do. And so I lived in this constant place of striving and people pleasing and uh, attempted perfectionism. And it was exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we don't talk about a whole lot in the church world is how church culture can really perpetuate that. Because, you know, if we're going to be a good Christian woman, if we're going to be a godly woman, we have to sign up for the meal train for the person with the family member in the hospital or who just had a baby. And we need to be willing to stay late and help clean up. And we need to be willing to get there early and cut out table decorations for the women's event. And we need to be willing to uh, mentor the young lady who's struggling. We, and we need to have perfect kids and our house needs to always look great in case somebody needs to come over and our pantry always needs to be stocked and, and we need to look good and have a big smile on our face the whole time while we're doing it because we love Jesus and Jesus loves Mm -hmm. us. And so life is just great all the time. And that's how a lot of us honestly feel that that's what being a good Christian woman looks like or should look like, or we might think this truly, this cannot be what being a good Christian woman is about. But yet I feel like that is everyone else's expectation of me. And it's not that doing all of those things at church are bad things. The question becomes, are we doing them out of fear of rejection from other people, or because we feel like we have to meet other people's expectations? Or are we truly doing them out of love because we love it? Because that is how we love to serve. And there are definitely women in that camp as well. I was not that woman. I was doing it out of fear. And so this book really tackles that whole idea of a fear of inadequacy. What lies are we believing that continue to put us in this place of striving and performance, and people-pleasing, and attempted perfectionism, and who in the Bible struggled with that, and how did God help them break free from it? And that's essentially what this whole book is about. That's amazing, and I know there's a lot of listeners that can relate to everything you just said, because we have these expectations, whether they're expectations people have put on us or expectations we put on ourselves because we may be thinking people are thinking that and they're not even thinking that but it is so true that sometimes we're afraid to say no and isn't it true how we can go through years and years of that until finally we have this revelation or God reveals to us that wait a second I never told you you had to do all that. (laughs) That wasn't me calling you to do all that. But I love also that you are focusing on Moses, who is a man. And that takes out some of the things that you were just saying, because I think it's easier, I don't know, for me anyway, to not lean toward that comparison game. Because if it's a man, I'm not going to really be comparing my calling to his calling for some reason, I don't know, for some reason, it just seems like it makes it a little bit more pure for you to bring the message out 
versus like comparing ourselves to the Proverbs 31 women, which is also something that we misconstrue and misunderstand because it's not set there to shame us or to say, you need to be planting a field and selling all these, you know, purple linens or whatever. So I would love if you would talk about how that all ties in Erica, the insecurity and all of the things that you found and discovered as you studied Moses over the years. Because I know this isn't your first go around studying Moses. I think you studied him before for a different reason, but we'll, you know, we'll really like to hear about all that. So go ahead and tell us. Sure. So uh, where it really came to a head for me was um, I was starting to walk in my calling, Doris. I had written my uh, first Bible study and it had been published by Moody Publishers. I had my second Bible study under contract and I had an opportunity to go with a fellow Moody author who is also a dear friend of mine uh, to go to Chicago and meet the whole team and just sort of celebrate the launch of this new women's Bible study line that Moody Publishers had just launched and our two titles were uh, number one and number three in the release of this line. And so we get there and we are getting ready to leave our hotel room and get in a cab to head over and meet the whole team at, at the publishing house. And my hands just began to shake and sweat just started beating across my forehead. I literally felt like somebody just took my insides and just twisted them all up in knots. And I looked at my friend Kim and I was like, I can't go like, I I can't go. I'm going to walk in there and they are going to take one look at me and they are going to go, what in the world were we thinking publishing this knucklehead? And then they're going to get out my next contract and they're going to rip it up and they're going to be like, game over. We see the real you. This was a mistake. We're done here. And she just looked at me and cocked her head and she goes, oh my goodness you have imposter syndrome. And I was like, what in the world is imposter syndrome? I had never heard of it. And she's like, get your phone out and Google it. And so with shaking hands, I'm pulling my phone out of my pocket. And every word that I had just said to her was exactly right there in the definition. You feel like a fraud. You feel like a phony. You feel like It's only a matter of time until you're going to fail and everybody's going to see the real you and, you know, the big house of cards that you are trying so hard to withstand any wisp of wind comes tumbling down and it's game over. And she was like, oh, no, 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 sister. This is a lie of the enemy. And we are going to tackle it head on. You turn yourself right around and you march out that door and you get in the cab. We're going to Moody Publishers. That's final. And so we did. And, you know, I feigned excitement through the day. And a part of me was so excited to be there. I mean, this was like a watershed moment in my life, right? Like, all my heroes of the faith, Tozer and Spurgeon and, and Pink and D.L. Moody, all these people that I had read their books for years and just admired and thought, oh my gosh, I can't wait to meet these guys in heaven, right? And then here I have a book with my own name on it right next to theirs, right? I mean, this is surreal. Mm-hmm. But the whole time I felt sick inside. I was nervous. I was shaky. Um, my stomach hurt. And we got back to our hotel room that night and I laid my head down on the pillow and 
God just spoke to me in the quietness of my heart. And he just said, Erica, this was supposed to be a moment of great celebration. This was supposed to be a day where you just were so filled with joy over what I have allowed to happen in your life, how I've blessed you. And you let a lie of the enemy rob you of all of it. How, how long are you going to live like this? How long are you going to continue to let the enemy rob you of all joy in your life? Because he constantly makes you afraid and you believe his lies. And I knew in that moment, Doris, I had to allow God to start bringing healing into my life. And so I began to research imposter syndrome, what psychologists say to do, what thought leaders say to do. And I realized a couple of things. I realized, first of all, that their advice to overcome a fear of inadequacy was inadequate. (laughs) That was the first thing that I discovered. (laughs) It was not going to work. It was not going to work. And secondly, what I discovered is that this is a very prevalent problem among women and among Christian women and a tactic of the enemy that he has used very, very strongly for thousands of years. And so I'm a Bible teacher, right? So I'm looking at leading psychologists, but what else am I going to do? I'm going to go to the book, right? It's the biggest passion of my life is get your face in the book and live like it's true, uh, which I wasn't doing. And so I began to research scripture. Like where do we see this, this plight of humanity in scripture? And I came across Moses, whom I affectionately now call the greatest self-doubter of the Bible. And he clearly struggled with imposter syndrome and fear of inadequacy. He argues with God about all of his abilities. He basically tells God, you know, I can't speak. I'm nobody. I'm a disaster. I'm a train wreck. Why in the world would you pick me? Um, Why don't you pick my brother? I'm only going to do this if my brother goes with me and I can stand behind him. I mean, he gives God all of these excuses, right? But what's crazy is when you look at how Stephen describes Moses in Acts 7, you would think he was talking about a totally different person, right? Like he's like, Moses was special. He was set apart. He was handsome. He was well-spoken. People rallied around him because they could see that he was chosen of God. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. This is how Moses actually was. This doesn't sound at all like how Moses described himself to God. And I think so many of us are in that same boat, right? I mean, if, if we were to go and sit in a room among Christian women and we were to say, turn to the woman next to you and tell her what you admire about her or what you appreciate about her or what giftedness you can see in her, the room would instantly be filled with chatter because we would recognize how God has gifted these incredible women around us. But if I said, turn to the woman next to you and tell her what you like about yourself, what you admire about yourself, what get, how, how God has gifted you, what special giftedness has God given you to serve him in this world, to make him known in this world, to build his kingdom, the room would get 
because we don't ever see it in ourselves. And the enemy, if we ever do begin to see it, the enemy comes in and tries to immediately rip that truth of who we are in Christ and how God has made us and how God has gifted us. He immediately comes in with his insidious little hisses and says, Oh, not you, not you. Who do you think you are? That's not true about you. That's true about her, but that's not true about you. And so as I dove into Moses, I really began to take a good, hard look at how God dealt with Moses and his fear of inadequacy. And our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how he dealt with Moses and the truth that he gave Moses and the promises he gave Moses are the same truths and the same promises that he offers to us if we will embrace them. Amen to that. Yeah, that is really cool how you were saying when you were researching imposter syndrome that the answers you were looking for were inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> so that, you know, you had delved into the word to find out, well, what does God have to say about this? And let's look at a real life example, which is Moses. And uh, the, the fact being, too, I think women, like you say, it's like an epidemic, this imposter syndrome thing. I mean, it happens not only in the church, it's very prevalent in the church, but also in the workplace, you know, Mm -hmm. what if they find out that I'm really not doing as good a job as they're saying that I'm doing because they're not recognizing that they have gifts and talents and that God continually equips us. And isn't it so freeing when we can say, you know what? No, we are totally inadequate, but God, it's God doing it. And that's, that's freeing. And that's a cool message that comes out in your book. And, um, you know, it's basically when we say that we can't do these things like what Moses was making all of these excuses to God it's like saying God you you're totally wrong about me yeah (laughs) oh you created me me. you (laughs) formed me in my mother's womb when I chose to follow Jesus you put spiritual gifts in me um but but you've made a mistake God yeah God doesn't make mistakes chat No, he doesn't. And it's like, I think God knows better than us, right? So tell us about how that went when you actually got into writing the book and how, what did it do in your own life as you were exploring these things and how it came out in the book and the message for the women that read it to be freed as well? Yeah. Well, it brought me a whole new level of freedom and it brought me a whole new level of boldness. And, and confidence in who I am and what God has called me to do. Um, I don't call it confidence. I call it Godfidence uh, because mm-hmm. again, it rests in, it rests in the character and the capabilities of God, not myself. Right. Uh, when, when people question Paul's calling, you know, the church of Corinth was like, you know, we've got all these people coming in here, Paul, visiting our church, and, you know, they're amazing speakers and just very impressive orators. You know, these were, this was a Greek city. And so uh, being able to present yourself and communicate uh, eloquently was was highly valued in Greek culture, you know, and, and it talks about how Paul was small in stature and he wasn't particularly great to look at and he stuttered and you know um 
And Paul is basically defending his calling as they're questioning him, kind of saying, you know, you're just not all that impressive, Paul. Like, are, are you sure you're actually really called of God? You're really an apostle? And Paul says, look, I don't consider anything that I'm doing as coming from myself. I'm not adequate in and of myself, but he has made me adequate through his death and resurrection. And that's really the message of this book that in and of ourselves, no, we're not adequate. No, God never calls you or I to look in the mirror and tell ourselves, I am totally the girl for this job. He doesn't. And in fact, when God called Moses, uh, you know, Moses essentially asked God the question. He's like, well, you know, who am I? Right. And how many of us have asked ourselves that question? Like, well, who am I to do that? Right. Or we've heard those hisses of our enemy in our ear. Who do you think you are? Like, why is anyone going to listen to you? Like, why would God call you to do this? Right. That's essentially what Moses is saying to God. Like, why, why me? Why would you give me this calling? And God could have unrolled Moses's resume. He could have put Moses's face right in front of his little tent mirror and said, okay, Moses, let me, let me, that's, you need to start believing some of the hype about yourself, dude. Like, let's take a look here. Like you speak Egyptian, you were raised in Pharaoh's court. So, you know, all the ins and outs of how the court operates. You fully understand Egyptian religion because you grew up with it. So you're going to totally understand what plagues I'm going to do and why you've been wandering around this desert for 40 years. So you're going to know the best path to get the people of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. I mean, God could have totally done that. He could have sat there with Moses and told Moses all of the reasons why he was the guy for the job and God picked him. But he doesn't which was so fascinating to me because I'm thinking, well, God, that kind of would have been kind of you to do that because Moses is clearly wrestling with self-doubt here. Like, couldn't he have just propped him up a little bit? But God doesn't give him props. He simply promises Moses his presence. And that's it. That's the exact same thing Paul is saying. Like, I'm not adequate of myself, but I have Christ. And because I have Christ, that makes me adequate. And so, you know, a lot of times, and this may seem silly to other people, but it works for me. Okay. So when I'm going into a situation and I feel inadequate, I feel insecure, maybe I feel unworthy to have a seat at this table, or I wonder if I'm going to have a seat at this table. I'll give you a simple example. When we moved to Arizona, I was looking for a Bible study to join, and I walked into the Bible study uh, at my new church, and it was in the sanctuary. There were 200 women in there, and I stood at the door, and I was like, which table do I go to? Like, where do I sit? Am I going to go to a table? And they're going to be like, sorry, this table's full. I don't know. There are there certain tables? Like, I don't know. And I, and I just felt this flood of insecurity come up in me. Like, where's my place? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? And what I envision in those moments of, I don't know if I have a seat at this table. I don't know if I belong here is I envision like this life-size cutout of Jesus. And I kind of now, because I'm a huge fan of the chosen, I kind of envision, you know, Jonathan Ramey 
who's not really Jesus, I know, but that it, I got this life-size cutout, right, of Jesus next to me, and I'm hobbling up to the table, and I'm feeling insecure, but if someone were to say to me, well, who do you think you are? Like, why are you sitting down at this table? Like, why do you belong here? Why should you be able to do that? I don't have to give them any other reason than like what Paul gave them and just point to my huge life-size cutout and go, well, I'm with this guy. Wow. I'm with him. So I think that makes me qualified to be here. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's awesome. essentially what God did with Moses. He's like, look, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm the one doing the thing. I'm just inviting you along for the ride. Are you going to come with me or not? I mean, that's essentially what God is saying to Moses in that moment. And when we get so wrapped up in looking in the mirror and trying to figure out ourselves and how we fit in this equation and if we have what it takes and why God would choose us in the first place, we've got our eye on the wrong thing. Like, Mm -hmm. just look look to the life-size cutout Jesus next to you and just be like, hey, I'm going with him. Where he's going, I want to go. I'm going with him. And that makes me adequate. That makes me enough. And stop worrying about everything else because the everything else is just the enemy talking at you. I love that. I'm taking that. I'm going to have my life-size Jesus cut out next to me. <laughs> next right? time I'm feeling insecure or do I belong or do I fit in? You know, those kind of thoughts, we've all had them. And you know, it's our own insecurities, but like you say, we're focusing too much on ourself. Like we're fixing our eyes on ourselves instead of we're not, you know, we're not fixing our eyes on Jesus where we're supposed to fix our eyes. So we'll exactly. have our Jesus cut out exactly. next to us. But it's funny. It reminded me, uh, at work, let's see, was it yesterday or a couple of days ago? Uh, I think it was our worship pastor, Ron. He had said he was watching like the Dove Awards or something and he saw, Chosen Jesus, Jesus from the Chosen, <laughs> yeah. sitting in the audience with a like a three piece suit on, and he's like, "Jesus is wearing a suit." <laughs> it was just really I know, funny. That poor guy. I mean, can he go anywhere now? Like, he has no idea what he is signed up for. Like, he has no idea. He has no idea. I mean, like, you're gonna go into Walmart and get some mac and cheese, and somebody is gonna think they're having like a spiritual encounter. <laughs> exactly and he's you know and he's in all of these women that are listening now we're all going to have like these cutouts of him next to us because he's jesus right but anyway that's that's really Why cool these women carrying jonathan ramey around in their car <laughs> what's up with that it's a thing now oh wow okay that is cool <laughs> but i love that so much and i love how you said god confidence because even uh you know, confidence in ourselves, like self-confidence. The world, the world is all about self, this, self, that, I, this, I, that, you know, and I, okay, I have an iPhone, but you know, there are I things, everything is I, me, you know, and focusing on ourselves. So taking ourselves out of that and just being obedient and saying, okay, God, use all my mess, you know, but I love that. I love it's God confidence and not Mm self-confidence because we can't do it on our own, but we try, don't we, Erica? Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. So what did God say to Moses? How did he treat that insecurity? Like you did explain 
how he didn't give him props, Mm -hmm. which I was going to say too, which is really cool because it's a lesson for us to follow that pattern as well because don't we give our friends props when they say, oh, I don't know if I should do that or not. Oh, you're so good at that. You know, we build people up, but maybe we should just be saying, you know what? Pray about it. Did God call you to do it? Then you must be right <laughs> for the for the job if he says you are. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little of both. I think part of our part of our call as believers is to encourage the body, right, and to mm-hmm. point out each other's giftedness to one another. Like I find it so fascinating in Acts. Uh, you know, we see Jesus call Paul right on the road to Damascus. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that was Paul's salvation moment. And that was very personal. No one around Paul heard Jesus's voice, saw anything, you know, they didn't know what had happened. It was strictly this personal moment of salvation between Paul and Jesus. When Jesus is like, look, I'm going to make you a minister to the Gentiles. Stop persecuting me. I have plans for you, buddy. Um, that was personal. But what we see later in Acts 13 was when Paul began to really fully walk into that calling. And in that moment, uh, the calling comes in community, right? We're told in the beginning of Acts, Acts 13, 1, uh, all the leaders of the church of Antioch, they were fasting and praying and worshiping together. And the Holy Spirit came in and said, I've set Paul apart. He's going to go with Barnabas, and this is this is the call upon Paul's life. He's going to go become a missionary to the Gentiles. His salvation was personal, but his calling was communal. And I think God did it that way in his great kindness and mercy because Paul would need to be reminded in hard moments like, no, 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 Paul, we were there. We witnessed the call. We know God called you to this. And we're all going to go through moments where we're going to believe our doubts and we're going to doubt our beliefs. And we need our brothers and sisters to come around us and remind us and say, no, 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 you are called to this. Uh, So I think it's both. But I think what's beautiful about the encounter with Moses is not only in Exodus 3, 10 through 12, does God promise Moses his presence he also promises Moses fulfillment because he goes on to say, he says, you know, Moses, my presence will be with you and this will be the sign for you when you lead the people out. And in my Bible, I have that when circled in bright red ink because I found that so fascinating. God did not say to Moses, um, I will be with you and If you are obedient enough, you'll lead the people out. Or if you are spiritual enough to hear my voice and understand my will and know what what I'm doing at all times, you'll lead the people out. Or if you're a good enough leader and communicator and vision caster that you can get the people to follow you, um, you know, or if, you know, you are um, a, a strong enough prayer warrior, you'll lead the people out. There was no if in what God said. He said, when, when you lead the people out. And so this is what we have to truly understand about our calling is a call of God is irrevocable. 
God considers it done. Even though we may not see the full fruit of it in our lives. I mean, look, Moses knew God called him to be the deliverer of the people of Egypt 40 years before this moment. He tried to do it in his own strength back in Exodus 2, and he failed epically. He ran ahead of God. He tried, He did it totally on self-reliance, and it didn't work. But the call was irrevocable. The call still stood, and God circled it back around, and the call came, and the call was fulfilled, and Moses did lead the people out, and he did come back and worship God on that same mountain. And same thing for Paul. I mean, God called Paul on the road to Damascus. And this moment in Antioch, where he starts fully living this call out, most scholars think, you know, it was somewhere between 12 and 15 years. That doesn't mean that Paul wasn't serving God, that his life was just sitting on a shelf. Um, Paul was still doing ministry. We don't know all that he was doing, but we know he was preaching, teaching. So that's the thing we have to remember. The call of God on our life is not an if. It doesn't depend on if we get all these things right and we check all these boxes. It's a when, Doris. It's when God brings it to pass in due time, in due season, when God knows we're ready. Because here's another big truth about our call. Nothing is going to shine a spotlight on our insecurities and the areas of our lives that we have not allowed God access to, like a successful walking out of our calling. And God knows that. And so he's going to deal with our stuff. He's going to foster our faithfulness to him before he's going to foster what we think is success in a calling. And so this book is really an invitation to surrender, to say, okay, God, what what is it in my life that I'm holding on to? I'm trying to do in my own strength. I'm trying to make happen. I refuse to let control go Um, and, and release those things to God. And in the process, we become fit and ready for the call that God has on our lives. That's beautifully said. And I love the when circled in red. (laughs) You could just see it in your mind. (laughs) Yes. That, you know, and life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we tend to question things when we should get on with it. You know, Mm -hmm. like you were saying, because God was like, matter of fact, like, when you do this, you're da, 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 yeah. you know, instead of like, well, let's see when this happens, if this, da, da, da. so I love how you explain that, that it is when, when it happens. And we need to really think more about how we are intentionally saying these things about our calling. If he opens the store, then that or that, but it's like, well, what is he doing right now? What door is he already opened that maybe we we aren't seeing. So I love that. So you all listening need to pick up this book, Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. This has been amazing. Erica, please share. How can the listener connect with you? Find this great book and any resources that you have. Yes. So the one-stop shop to connect with me would be my website, which is just my name, ericawigginhorn.com. 
You can find out more about Letting God Be Enough on the website. Uh, my additional studies, if you are someone who really loves to go deep, deep into the word, uh, you will definitely enjoy those. And you can also pick up uh, three free eBooks, The Busy Woman's Bundle. That is there on my site as well. Um, and maybe you're a person who's saying, you know, I'm just really trying to figure this whole thing out. Um, there is a free ebook in that bundle, 50 Days to Intimacy with God. And, uh, you know, the, I say the, the prescription for a fear of inadequacy is intimacy. And so if you want to grow in intimacy with God, go, go grab that free ebook in the Busy Woman's Bundle. Uh, it also has another book what Jesus wants women to know about God. And the last one is the busy woman's guide to praying for your friends and family. So yeah, head on over to my website, ericawigginhorn.com and figure out uh, which of those resources God could use in your life the most right now. Amazing. Those are incredible values to you know, just be able to go on your website and pick those up. So I am going to be checking those out, <laughs> yeah, especially the busy wo woman's bundle. Or yes. <laughs> yes. It's awesome. totally free. So go grab it. That's great. Well, I thank you so much for joining us today. And I wonder if, uh, before we close out, if you could pray for that woman that's listening right now, who just is feeling insecure and not sure what she's supposed to be doing next. And, uh, she needs some encouragement right now. I would love to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this life is so busy and we have so many roles and so many responsibilities, things to do, things that need to get done. <clears throat> Lots of times they can feel really mundane, like making another peanut butter and jelly sandwich or folding another load of laundry or making another trip to the grocery store uh, board, but you see it all. And I think about Moses's life and I think about his calling and I think about those 40 years when he was in Midian and how mundane it must have felt to just do the same thing day after day after day. And yet somehow in his heart, he knew that you had made him for something more. And I know that so many of us out there um, wrestle with that. We are attempting to be faithful as we serve our families, as we get our job done in our cubicle at work, as we shuffle our kids from activity to activity. Um, all of those tasks and roles can sometimes just feel so mundane. But yet, Lord, you show us over and over in scripture how you work in those things. You work through our faithfulness. And while we can't always see the immediate results, uh, we know from your word that you are working in us and you are working through us in ways that we often cannot see. And we have no idea how our faithfulness is impacting our coworkers, is influencing our children, is making a statement um, to our church members um, to just not grow weary in doing good as you command us in your word. And so for the woman out there who's doing all the things, but feels like she's not really doing anything, God, I just ask that you would give her a glimpse today of the impact that she is making in her world. 
by being faithful. And God, you tell us that uh, the words that we ought to aim to hear are not well done, celebrity speaker, well done, uh, mega church leader. It's well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Father, help us to be faithful today. Help us to be good and faithful as we serve the people around us, knowing that that is what brings you the greatest honor and the greatest glory and what makes you smile and grin as you sit on your throne and look down from heaven and say that there she is, there she is, that's my girl serving me doing the thing, loving people around her. She is a world changer. Encourage her with those words today, Jesus, and help her to see that you do rejoice over her and that you are well pleased with her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Erica Wiggenhorn, for that beautiful prayer and for being on the show today. And I hope to have you on again sometime. I would love to come back. I would love to have you back and uh, maybe when your next book comes out. There we go. <laughs> when your next book comes out. There we out. go. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yes, not if. <laughs> All right. <laughs> exactly. Well, friend, thank you so much. It's been such a joy and a blessing to have you on and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Friend, thank you for listening today. Wasn't that so, so good? I so enjoyed this conversation with Erica today. It was so encouraging. And I love her vulnerability and how she shares the parts of her life uh, where she felt insecure and how God did a mighty work in that area for her. And we can all relate to the struggles of imposter syndrome and all of these things. But, you know, those are lies from the enemy, just like Erica said. And so we can always trust that God is equipping us to do whatever he's calling us to do. And he has been equipping us all along for the works that he has prepared in advance for us. So friend, be encouraged today. And I would love to give away a couple of copies of Erica's book that she talked about in the show. So to get in on that drawing, please go to daraswift.com in the show notes for Erica Wiggenhorn's episode and scroll down to the bottom and leave a comment. Let us know how this episode blessed you, any takeaways, and also what action steps you might take as a result of listening to this conversation today. And I know Erica would love to hear from you too. So check out her page at ericawiggenhorn.com and get the free download that she mentioned, which was amazing. The Busy Woman's Bundle for Connecting with God. And I would just love to connect with you too. So reach out to me at daraswift.com and let me know how Fierce Calling has helped you. And I hope you'll join me next time when I talk with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon.